This is a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. Go to allthews.3cr.org.au. With Juan Gonzalez for another edition of Democracy Now! You're listening to 3CR. This is Billy X. Jennings of the Black Panther Party. Power to the people. Hi, I'm Kim Salmon. I'd like to have a quick word about uh, public radio, particularly 3CR. The thing about public radio is that it's more open than the more formatted types of radio to what's going on around it. So when you listen to it, you're more likely to hear a reflection of real life. And 3CR being in the heart of Smith Street, Collingwood, is a particularly good example of what I'm talking about. If you'd like to uh, subscribe... The number is 94198377. You've been listening to the sand. You could never understand. Feel the fortune flow. But now that we have made the land a garden full of promise, old greed must crook his dirty hand and come to take it from us. So we must fly the rebel flag as others did before us, and we must sing a rebel song and join in rebel chorus. We'll make the tyrants feel the sting of those that they would throttle. They needn't say the fault is ours if blood should stay the wattle. de la fin La raison donne en son cratère C'est l'éruption de la fin Du passé faisant table rase Fous l'esclave debout, debout Le monde va changer de base Nous ne sommes rien, soyons tous Yes, and welcome to the Yarrabug May Day Parade Show here on Radical Radio 3CR. Podcasting, streaming or listening on that transistor in the kitchen. 855 on the AM dial. And yes, we're marching down the Chantelin Paris <laughs> celebrating May Day and everything that goes with it. And especially our Australian contribution to... May Day, because we had the first May Day march on the 1st of May. Many thanks to Amy Goodman and Democracy Now! A country, America, where there aren't many May Day marches, I assume, which is good. Faith, good morning and happy May Day on this lovely sunshiny day. Good morning, Val. It is quite a crisp, beautiful morning. Time for long-fingered gloves, I think. Yes, yes, we've reached the uh, the true autumn, the cool mornings and the beautiful sunny days. And that fresh air. We've got a bit of a show. We're going to be celebrating May Day, actually, and all that goes on it. That um, last three stanzas of um, Henry Lawson's poem, 
Freedom of the Wallaby, on the Wallaby, I should say, uh, was written about or published about a year after the Queensland Shearer strike in 1891 in honour of it. And we're going to do a little bit of a potted history of that. And we're going to have a bit of a ride report as well. And 1891 was the uh, the first May Day yes. um, march in Australia. In yeah. a, the world. Um, even Rock's, um, uh, Rosa Luxemburg quotes, <laughs> the, quotes the Australian Shearers in one of her tracks in the 1920s, actually. So it, it did have... Look, we're taught that actually we invented the stump jump plough and the windscreen wipers that are intermittent and Wi-Fi, but nobody ever teaches us that we actually started the May Day Parade on May, 1st of May as International Labor Day. But first off, we're going to break it up and just go into something really personal and selfish and talk about our own special bike moments. You want me to kick off? Yep, sorry. So That's okay, just checking. Um, so I, my bike moment was yesterday. Um, we went up to Glenroy Festival oh. with the Marybeck Bicycle User Group. And that was, um, you know, it, it kind of fits a bit with May Day because it was that, that sense of community. A lot of people up there doing volunteering to do really good things in their local community, um, bringing people together. And just a, a good day standing around the sun talking to good people and a lot of them who, uh, you know, want to um, be able to use their bicycles to do a lot of the good stuff that they're doing out there. It sounds perfect. It, w- it was a lovely day. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not going to bring the tone down. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of my um, – I've been waiting for so long – if anybody rides Napier Street or uses it a north-south corridor, <clears throat> they realise that when they get to Victoria Parade for the last two years, probably even longer, three years, there's a huge construction site going on at the anti-Catholic uh, university there. And it has always been a bit of a... Nobody knows where they are. So all that's finished now, um, especially if you're... Um, want to duck down through Lansdowne Street and connect across to go through MCG Car Park. And it requires a bit of, it involves footpath crossing, so people heading south have to come across on the footpath. So the whole rest of that intersection is now designed, two separate car lanes, two separated bike lanes for the incoming and the outgoing. And so completely separated, and look, I've been—I think it's only open last week or the week before. And I used it this morning, and I went to swing down Napier Street, and three trucks, all parked in the bike lane. It's <laughs> <laughs> just a perfect symbol of a beautiful, fresh green, you know, <laughs> glass impregnated in it. Yep. Great parking spot for a couple of enormous. Trucks unloading. Uh, some things remain the same. They do, and they seem to be pretty universal. They do. Uh, this would be a good place to park. Nobody's going to use yeah, this. Yeah. Um, just on that, actually, as I'm talking about separated bike lanes, I'm sure Chris has probably covered this. The um, Elizabeth separated bike lanes has now become permanent. So yep. 
No, and that's good. a great route. Yep. Um, getting through a tricky area. So and well, very well used, as you can see. People commuting in and out of uh, Melbourne to East Melbourne and Richmond. So yeah, very good. Uh, the forces of darkness have been defeated. <laughs> I was going to say, actually, I read a, uh, a wonderful report on, uh, I've forgotten what they call them, low traffic areas in England, actually. So some of them becoming permanent. And reading a couple of, somebody's gone back and followed up with the families who live in those streets. And every one of them are wildly enthusiastic about what it's done to change their neighbourhood. There's even a quote of somebody in their 70s saying they'd met people in their local area they've never known and they've been there for 40 years and it's actually exactly what Jane Jacobs said once you cut that traffic down people cross fertilise across streets yep. it's really interesting watching seeing it happen you know now yeah yep um, let's we moving into going back a couple of centuries only one <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we want to go um, well we can't go back before the Invention of the bicycle. No, let's so limit it to this. But uh, I think it's it's well worth looking today at the role of the bicycle in organising workers in Australia. Yep. Um, and just as a potted history, if anyone isn't aware, the safety bicycle, the sort of bicycle that we ride today, and the pneumatic tyres really took off worldwide and in Australia in about eighteen ninety three. And it proved that it very quickly became apparent that you didn't have to be incredibly fit, incredibly strong to ride quite a long distance. Yep. And you've got to think that before this, people walked everywhere. Yep. Or you rode a horse. A bicycle can cover a lot more distance in a day than a horse. Yep. And you don't have to feed it. Yep. So it really transformed mobility. Yep. Uh, once it had trickled down to the working classes towards the end of the 1890s. And I think it's just after that that we start to see, or in that late 1890s, that we really start to see that impact on workers' organisation. Yeah. And, um, well, this enabled... If we, well, I'll bring in then the shearers, which actually were travelling sometimes 300 miles between big shearing sheds in places like Outback Queensland. Um, and this was the start of uh, that movement of them becoming a lot more organised um, and an ability, as you said, to own a horse was quite a... You had to have a bit of cash in your pocket to be able to afford to keep a horse. And this then revolutionised... One people transport from one place to another, and a lot of these places there were no railway lines. Gippsland, I think, was one of the places that really opened up, and Western Queensland was one of the others. And the railway line only takes you to the centre of town. Yep, you've still got to get from there, um, and it does cost money. And it's um, the impact of the bicycles with shearers was really quick. Uh, some sheds, people reported seeing a 1,000 bicycles at some of the really big places. And as workers started getting organised, they started demanding the shearers' union that if a shed wanted all these workers to turn up, they were going to have to provide parking or safe space for their bicycles. Yep. So it's, it, <laughs> within a matter of years, it really quickly became 
integral yeah. to the way that um, workers negotiated with yeah. employers. And it's important to note that up until the Shearer strike, there was a negotiated settlement. There was a price per 100 sheep, um, and that was quite settled. Then in 1890 onwards, the world slid into a depression. The financial financial system started to collapse, and our major export was, of course, at that stage, wool. So, what happened then? A couple of the pastoralists tried to get the shearers to sign an amended agreement that would drop their wages, and this was the beginning of them the formation of the union to say no, we would not be signing these, and this. By dribs and drabs, and this then settled into the second and the second of the only two times in Australia's history that troops or the army have been used against the citizens. First off, Eureka Stockade, and then at, uh, um, at Barraldine in Queensland, where the strike came to a head. And this was where the 1st of May... Uh, March was first originated by the striking shearers. By this stage, they were shipping in some, we'll call them scab labour, to actually take the place. And there was a quite a, I'm going to say, a battle between the striking shearers and um, the army and the police, which ended up with um, 13 union leaders were charged with sedition. Most got three-year jail terms. So it was a very heavy-handed um, approach to the strike. should say that um, six months later, the strikers were virtually all but beaten, and it was over. Um, but the point about this is what came out of it after, after that. Um, so their demands, actually the Shearer's demands, were... The continuation of existing rates of pay, so that's how we're referencing that they already had a, an agreement but was then um, taken or wanted to be dismantled. Protection of workers' rights and privileges, just and equitable agreements, and the third one, which lived with us for another 100 years, as the white Australian policy, the exclusion of low-cost Chinese workers. Out of this also came the formation of not only what we now know as the Australian Workers' Union, but as also of what we know as the Australian Labor Party. All came out of this period in Queensland, especially this town, Barraldine, and what was known as the Tree of Knowledge, um, which the Labor Party sees as their founding or genesis area. I should say of those 13 union leaders who were imprisoned, um, three of them later end up becoming members of parliament in Queensland and one then in one of the upper house councils, as one, no, one in Western Australia as well. So a little bit like the Eureka stock case, some of the people who came out of it and came, ended up having a, quite a strong influence on... The leadership... Uh, on the rest of Australia. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it was... Because of their experience using bicycles as shearers and then organising via bicycles, so the the bicycle really changed things in terms of the speed with which you could get to places um, 
you see in Western Australia, the bicycle couriers were really used by miners because you could quickly get a claim in without telegraphing it to everyone uh, via yeah, the yeah, yeah. telegraph. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. And it's the same thing with the um, the AWU that came out of the Shearers. They had a bicycle corps, um, which I think had about 80 men in it with their bicycles who literally just dispersed into the countryside and could really quickly get out to all the places where workers were and organise them and get them going on you know, these are actions yeah. they were taking. So it's it's that means of really quickly being able to access workers and get messages out to them or get messages back. And it, um, it took away one of those, I'm going to say, um, uh, means of coercion from, I'm going to, you know, the squatters and the pastoralists who then couldn't actually corral people as easy as they could before. And if someone was offering better conditions, you could access them. It yeah. wasn't that it was going to take you a week of walking. Yeah. It would take you two days to ride. Yeah. And, of course, the important, one of the important things of this, that the start of unionism, especially I'm going to reference the Stonemason Workers' Union here, which most people know in the 1860s, the start of the eight-hour working day. That's why that monument is there at the end of um, Ligon and um, Russell, I think it is. So that was about 1860, mid-1860s, and that was the start of the um, Stonemasons Union. And don't forget, they're people in one workplace. Shearers were always seen as individuals, and they were either employed sometimes just on the boss's whim, virtually like, um, you know, spot labour. Once it was formed into a union, though, this it became a diff- completely different ball game. Well, it was the gig econ- economy. Yeah, it was the, yeah. the gig workers yep. of uh, the uh, late nineteenth century. Yeah, and especially when you the the trains were going out to Baradine in Queensland, they were full of two things: the troops and the scab labour. Yeah, so yep. that was used to funnel people in. We're going to be back just after this quick break and a message from our wonderful sponsor, Second Chance Cycles. Yarrabug would like to thank our sponsor, Vacro's Second Chance Cycles, for their financial support. Second Chance Cycles is a fantastic community workshop that recycles bikes, trains people in bike mechanics and sells bikes to the local community. If you have a healthcare card, they'll give you a bike free of charge. To find out more, search for Vacro online or drop into the underground car park, Harmsworth Street, Collingwood, any Tuesday or Thursday. You're back listening to the Yarrabun Radio Show here on 3CR. Just a few... Oh, sorry. Oh. Now you're back listening to Val. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be one mistake that show. Um, look, just to quickly look, it's a really interesting history. I'd, I'd encourage people to dig a little bit deeper. There's a lot of stuff written on this from Rosa Luxemburg to people still writing about the history up in Queensland of this, of the Shearer strike. And, you know, we're highlighting the, the Shearer's, the use of the bicycle and actually changing the way people communicate it. Before we move on to other things, we should just actually mention 
May Day has another meaning to a lot of neo-pagans. This is the festival, the Gaelic festival of Beltane. Also, people would know the Maypole, the Mayfair Queen. This all comes, and actually there's a Roman festival too, um, Florina. So it goes back a long way. In the Northern Hemisphere, May the 1st is usually about halfway between Equinox and the summer solstice. So it's their real beginning of... um, The summer. The summer. And it goes back to a long way. If anybody remember the schlock horror film from England, The Wicker Man, that's based on one of the Beltane um, uh, things that they do, burning the Wicker Man, which still lives on in California in some (laughs) place. (laughs) It has not changed. (laughs) Now we're back riding bicycles through far and foreign lands. Yes, well, another, um, just slightly after the period of the Shearer strikes and that, uh, role of the bicycle in organising workers is when uh, Anstey and McGrath, two young Labor MPs in Melbourne, uh, spent a month almost touring Gippsland by bicycle. And the it was the first of... Um, Many tours Anstey organised, Frank Anstey, and it was so that they could get into areas that, again, you know, the trains didn't go far enough or were a bit more remote and talk to particularly miners but also farmers um, about the labour cause and get them organised and ready, um, encouraging people to join the Labourite League uh, and putting them in touch with each other. So they caught the train up to Rutherglen. There's some uh, newspaper reports in the Rutherglen press of a, a rousing uh, couple of speeches. In most towns, someone local, uh, a labourite, would organise, or sometimes from a union, would organise a public meeting. They had certain dates set out to be in certain towns, Frank Anstey was pretty famous for yeah. uh, his oratory powers and uh, ability to rouse a crowd. Um, McGrath wasn't bad either, but um, they would drop in a town, have an organised public meeting, rouse everyone up, encourage them to join the Labourite League, meet with local union leaders, and then the next day jump on their bikes and ride to the right. next town. And they did this for 22 days. It meant they, I think they spoke in 14 towns and some of them really small remote mining areas like Sunnyside and then up past Omeo. Uh, They went down to Bairnsdale and really getting off the track. Yeah. It was, um, and there's a report in the Toxin written, I think, by Anstey about the ride and it's, you know, in each town it's someone from one of the local unions who meets them or they ride out on horses or bikes to meet them, bring them into town. They're riding with swags, so taking the hint from the shearers. Yep. Um, their bikes, I was thinking 1904, the, the bikes might 
be free hubs, single speeds, because there's quite a few free hubs at that point. Ah, yeah, yeah. But when you look at the – there is a photo we'll put up with the podcast. Um, when you look at it, I can't see any brakes on their bikes. So, ah, so they're all ba- – So I think they might be riding fixed, going up from Estelle and Mitamita up past Sunnyside to Omeo, up the Knocker yeah, yeah. track. <laughs> Maybe walking a little bit. But they mention the walking, yeah. Anstey had a little uh, bag attached to his handlebars. They both have a swag over their shoulders. Oh, yeah. They didn't do, you know, the shearers often had the Hessian sacks over the yeah, yeah. making a frame bag, bag. essentially. Yeah, yeah. They they don't do that. Um, yeah. But I think in a lot of towns, even with the swag, someone was putting them up or offering yeah. some level of accommodation. So. Yeah. Um, this is virtually an electioneering tour. It is. Town, a series of town hall meetings. It is. Know. But it's it's a significant one because, the again, these are places that are starting to get well away from any railway station and that you could only have accessed previously if you had a horse yep. or you were going to walk and take substantially longer time to do it. Um and this is 1904, so you've had 10 years of people seeing how the bicycle can give you access to parts of the country that um, you normally wouldn't have been able to get into. So it's really giving them that access. And in the same way that the AWU in that were able to get to quite remote places, these Anstey and McGrath were also able to. Yeah. And the, it also gave them, you know, they mentioned at one point they went through Telangata, oh, yep. at, at which no formal stop had been arranged. So they obviously didn't have a contact in Telangata who was a labourite or no. a union leader, but stopped at the Coffee Palace and it turned out that the owner was a really dedicated labourite. Yeah. So even though they didn't do a talk there, they now had a contact for future... Mimos to be sent to, and he volunteered that anyone, any messages can be sent to him, and he will make sure they're dispersed through the community. So it was also a networking and building that network through the country areas. I think Matsi Tung was right when he said actually to ride a bicycle is a political act. You know, it really transformed the whole country because I'm pretty sure the railway line didn't go beyond when that it stopped at Rutherglen, did it? No, no, the rails oh actually then later on it went to Telangana. Yeah, because of but the I'm not sure yeah, it might not have in nineteen oh four. It went to Wodonga. Yeah. Definitely. They from Rutherglen they caught the train to Wodonga to, and then rode out. But um it certainly never went up to Omeo and through those more remote mining districts yeah. and then they rode down the other side to Bensdale. Yeah. Um but it's you know, it, it's a great tour in terms of seeing, you know, there was on the one hand the public speaking and rousing and getting people to join up, but also simultaneously building the network of people you can talk to. Yeah. The Omeo delegate, the Amalgamated Miners Association, who escorted them from Bonambra to Omeo and put them up, was my great-great-grandfather, <laughs> I discovered. Reading the article, <laughs> but um, it's uh, and 
you know, the impact is interesting because they stopped at Sunnyside where my great-grandfather was living as a miner, as a mining town. And, you know, that's a died-in-the-wool Labor supporter all his life and union member and, and then his son too. And it's, you know, generations of people inspired by what they heard at this one. um, Yeah. It would have also been important later on when the um, referendum on conscription was held. Um, People who met and heard Anstey speak. That's where I remember his um, name now. Would have remembered that and later on when they read his arguments in the newspapers or something. So um, he was the member for Brunswick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we have Anstey Station Station. named after him and it's, you know, everyone riding around on bikes. So, um, Mm. But it was a really significant tool for um, building those networks and the community of a union. Yeah. Um stick together um the AWU still going strong yes in a lot of ways it is yeah and maybe maybe modern day unions could look at bicycles and the way they are so effective in building community and because it's you know it's it's that community that some not all some unions seem to be struggling to retain yeah yeah um it's a um, it's a, it's a topic for a different day. Yeah, I think. no, definitely. Um, but it's uh, look, it's interesting to go back and look. Just on the other thing, May Day then became a bit of a target for conservative governments. I mean, here in Victoria, we know we celebrate Moomba. Moomba's actually was originally the first of May, and it was Labor Day. But actually, in nineteen thirties, Victorian government here changed it. Um, John Major tried to change the May the 1st bank holiday in England to take it to Trafalgar Day. So still, every, people still trying to get rid of the tint of that. Yeah, yeah. But look, that is all we've got time for, I think. It is. It is. Coming up next. Is a she-bop straight after this, and we will see you in a couple of weeks' time. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.